2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling, you can tell what version I memorized, accurately handling the word of righteousness, or the word of truth. This is in the middle of a context where Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's talking to Timothy about people that are not handling the word of God very well. They're fussing over doctrine, they're arguing, they're fighting, they're feuding, they're even leading people astray because they have these weird and bizarre notions. And uh, Paul is saying, teach them not to wrangle about words, which is useless and only leads to the ruin of the hearers. How many of you have ever been in a Bible study that was useless and led to the ruin of the hearers? Can, can I, can, anybody ever been in a Bible study like that? Yeah, people just wrangle about words. They argue over stuff that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. They fuss over stuff that ultimately only ensues in discontent, and it doesn't lead anyone closer to Christ, and no one really benefits from that process. Paul is saying this is going on in this church in Ephesus. There's some false teaching. And what he wants Timothy to do is to teach them not to do that. And in the midst of that, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to be diligent. I want you to study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, who handles accurately, correctly, rightly the word of truth. There's a right way and a wrong way to study the scriptures. And Paul wants Timothy to study the scriptures in the appropriate way. Now, this is the second in a series of three messages dealing with the authority of Scripture and the teaching of the Word of God. And I want to emphasize to you this morning how important the Scripture is in our lives. Last week, as we considered it, we looked at the, the truth that the Word of God is authoritative, that it is without error, that it is inspired, that it is the final authority for our faith and life. We stand on the Word of God, our faith rest on the Word of God. The Word of God is absolute truth for us. I was having a conversation with Carrie this week and we were talking about our culture and we were talking about just the general attitude of people out there today, you know, that, that, are, with, that are in the world and as they consider the Scripture, if you say to them, the Bible is an authoritative, infallible book, that speaks true truth to my life, you know, they kind of look at you like you're weird. I forget exactly the illustration that Carrie gave, but it was like somebody with regular old tennis shoes and tube socks pulled up to their knee, you know, and then and the old hiking shorts and a backpack on their back, not a contemporary backpack, but the old style, and just real geeky and weird and strange looking like you're from another planet. You, like, you're not with it. Who, who would ever believe that a book written 2,000 and more years ago could say anything to me today? But friends, the Bible is very, very clear for us who know Jesus Christ by faith that it is the Word of God, that it is God's revelation to us. It is the source of wisdom. It is the timeless message of truth. But the next question arises... But how can I understand it? If the Bible is that significant and that important, how can I understand it? How can I uh, grasp the truth of God in a way that is applicable to my life? How can I know what the Bible says? And so this morning I want us to look at that very question because that's what Paul is getting at to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. 
to be a student of the Scriptures. That's the encouragement. And the first question that comes to my mind is, why? Why should I be a student of the Scriptures? Why should I study? Today we talk about the importance of education. And we still hold forth the concept that everybody should try to go to college and everybody should get a degree and everybody should avail themselves of all the knowledge that's out there. We promote learning. We want people to become educated. It's a concern of our nation um, that people get a good education, a good foundation. There's so much to learn. There's so many things you can study. You can watch the Discovery Channel on television or the History Channel or you can watch the Science Channels. You can learn things through TV. You can enroll in courses. You can read books. There's so much knowledge to be gained. You can never know it all. You, you really can't even know a fraction of it no matter how diligently you study. Why should you study the Bible? Of all the things out there to learn, why should the Bible take a, a place of preeminence of all the other things in your life to study and understand? And I think we need to answer that question. We need to understand the motivation behind being a student of the Scriptures. And for me, the first reason to study the Bible is it is the Bible that tells me who God is. It is His authoritative revelation of Himself. It's His Biography, if you please. His autobiography, in the Scriptures, he describes what he is like. And friends, if he made me, and if I'm going to spend eternity with him, and if knowing him is what my eternal destiny depends upon, doesn't it make sense to want to discover who he is in the Scripture? And why is that important? Because the very first commandment, Of all the commandments, the very first one is, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. You shall have no other gods before you. And the the reality is, is that if we are worshiping a God that we have made up in our imagination with bits and pieces of information that we have gleaned from all kinds of other places, God must be like this. And we've just created this image in our mind. You've heard me say it before, but I can't overemphasize the fact you're worshiping an idol. If you're worshiping a God that you have invented, or a God that has come to you through misinformation, you're worshiping an idol. And idolatry will take you far away from God. Some people see God as harsh and judgmental. Some people see God as distant and austere and and difficult to reach. Other people see Him as so loving and so kind and so sweet and so generous that, that He doesn't ever judge anyone. And all of those notions of God are inappropriate. It is the Bible that accurately reveals to me a picture of a God who in the Old Testament at one point literally opened up the ground and swallowed alive into a fiery depth the sons of Korah in their rebellion and who gave His only Son to die on a cross that we would not perish but have eternal life. It is the Scriptures who give that, that give to me a balanced understanding of God. I need to know the Bible in order to know the God 
with whom I have an eternal relationship. Secondly, the Scripture says, Paul says this to Timothy, the Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. We dedicated two babies this morning. We brought them before the Lord, and I challenged their parents to read them the Scriptures, to pray for them, and expose them to the community of faith so that they could grow up in the knowledge of the Lord. It is the Scripture that shows you how to be saved. There's no other source than the Scriptures. However... It is not just that initial salvation, but we are being saved day by day as we go along. And it is the Bible that opens up to us the transformation of our lives day by day into the image of Christ that saves us. Not just initially for eternity, but in the process of daily salvation. If you are filled with anxiety, and you are a worrier, and a fretter, and, and, and you spend your days wringing your hands in dread of what's going to happen next to you or to your family, and, and you live in fear, and it's messing up your stomach, and it's wrecking your heart, and, and your life is filled with tension and stress, and you're not sleeping well because you lay awake at night worrying And you come to know the God of the Scripture who holds you in the hollow of His hands, who provides shelter for you you figuratively beneath His wings. And you learn to pray. As Paul says in the, the letter to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And as you cast all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you, Second Peter 3, 7, He takes your burdens upon Himself and gives you a peace that goes beyond comprehension. And you come to a place in life where by faith you trust God to take care of you on a daily basis in your family. And you can rest in Him. You have been saved. Your life has been changed. If He can take away from you a fiery temper that damages you and damages others and fill you in time through the Scriptures with the sweetness of His presence, you have been saved. The Bible is able to educate in a spiritual sense the truth of God combined with the power of the Holy Spirit to change your life and make you different in a process that can only be described as salvation. And it's through the Scriptures that you learn this. You can't get it from a self-help book. They may give you some good ideas, but self-help is just that. It's self-help. And you're going to run out of self before you get all the help you need. You can't do this on your own. You need God to change you. It's in the Scriptures that He explains that. It's a guide for successful living. You know, again, you can go in the bookstore and you can go to the self-help section or the the, the wannabe sales section or uh, the how to get rich section and you can buy books on all kinds of things on how to be successful in life. But no one can stand behind that like Almighty God. 
And you recall as Joshua was getting ready to take over the mantle of leadership from Moses and take the Israelites into the land of Canaan, Joshua had in front of him the books that Moses had written by the revelation of God as he was there in the wilderness and in the mountain. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Joshua had those books in his hand. And God said to him, Joshua, this book... This collection of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God promises that. And since that time, we have another 61 books of the Bible added. All the rest of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament have been added to that collection that are able to ensure success. Not success in worldly terms, but real success in spiritual terms. That when we end our days, and friends, one day that moment will come. It may come suddenly for you when you least expect it. Or it may creep up on you like eventide in the end of a long life. But in any case, if you have been a follower of Jesus Christ in obedience to the truth as revealed in the Word, when that moment comes, you will have peace that you have been pleasing to God. And there is no success Like the success that comes when you hear the Savior say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that I have made for you. That is success. It goes beyond any award you can ever receive in this life. Finally, last in my outline, but certainly not least, it is in the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit is able to speak into our lives. Friends, God can talk to you in many ways, and He knows how to communicate. But I will tell you that there is no more consistent and faithful way to hear God speak into your life than as you read the Scripture to open your heart to Him and let Him talk to you. And if your devotional life has become dry and dull, can I suggest to you a new method? You know, did you know, for example, that if you read four chapters of the Bible a day, you can read through the whole Bible in a year? Some people do that by reading three chapters in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And if you make that practice, you will read through the whole Bible in a year. Some people like to read a psalm every day and then a chapter from Proverbs. If you do that, you'll read through the psalms three times a year and you'll read through Proverbs every month. I remember Watchman Nee saying that he read through the New Testament Every single month, every month, he read through the whole New Testament. You say, oh my goodness, that's a lot of reading of the Bible. Well, it's only 300 pages. I sometimes read a 400-page novel in a weekend. So reading 300 pages of the New Testament in a whole month is not but 10 or 15 pages a day. Seriously. If you read the newspaper, you read that much. But anyway, what I started out to say was, regardless of your Bible reading program, I remember Charles Shepson, a dear friend of mine, years ago, saying that every once in a while in his devotional life, this is the approach he took. And I challenge you with it this morning. 
He said, I read until I hear from God. Sometimes that's a whole book. Sometimes it's only a verse. But he said, I open my Bible in my time of devotion, and I say something like this to God. God, I'm opening your word, and I want to hear from you. Would you speak into my life today? Speak to my heart. I'm going to read until you say something to me. And as he would read, he would wait for the Spirit of God to take some word, some sentence, some verse from the Scripture and speak it into his heart. Friend, if you have an attitude of openness before the Lord and you're willing to hear from him and you will open the word of God and say, God, speak to me. I'm reading here today because I want to hear from you. And you don't stop until you hear from God. God will speak to your heart. And day after day, over time, you will find that God will use the Scriptures to speak into your life. You say, how will I know when He talks to me? Something from the page of the Scriptures will grip you. Something will get a hold of your heart. Something will speak to you. You will come alive to some truth. There will be something that brings conviction. Something that answers a question you've been wondering for a long time. Something that gives you direction for some problem you need to, to, to deal with today. Something that guides you. God will speak into your life from His Word because He's faithful to do that. Why should you study the Bible? Because it, it tells you about God. It makes you wise for salvation. It gives you the tools to really live successfully. And it's a platform from which the Holy Spirit can speak into your life. Are you with me? You're all so quiet this morning. I just want to make sure you didn't go to sleep and glaze over. Okay. But how do I study? If that's the motivation, how is it that I can go about studying the Scripture in a way that will speak to me? Well, the first thing we have to answer is, and I want you to follow me real closely here. Do you read the newspaper? Now, I asked the 8 o'clock group this, and and, uh, the median age at 8 o'clock is a little older than the median age at 10 o'clock. So, I I realize that that there may be some differences here, but I don't think the printed page has entirely gone out of fashion. But if you read the newspaper, if you read a book, if you read a magazine, do you understand what you read? Can you read the newspaper and understand what it's saying? Can you read a magazine article and catch the drift? Do you read the back of the cereal box when you eat your breakfast? If it has this little picture on the front of a toy and it says inside, packaged in every box, you can have a whatever. Did you find it? Did you know to look? How did you know to look? Because it said on the box there was a toy inside. I know the children's church is downstairs, but I know you. If there's a toy in that box, you're still looking for it. How did you know to to look in that box to find it? Because you read it on the back. And how did it tell you that? It told you that with language. It used your language with a grammar and a structure to the sentence that made the language make sense to you. And from kindergarten, when you first got your first uh, primer to learn how to read, or primer, whatever part of the country you're from, Uh, That you first learned how to read, and you read this sentence, See, Dick, run. 
you started learning the tools for understanding the Scripture. Because that sentence, although it isn't in the sentence, it's implied there's a subject, and there's a verb, and there's an object. You see Dick run. And you know when you read that sentence that when you look outside and see some kid running, that that's the action that it's describing and it makes sense to you. And I want you to know that the Bible is written in the very same way. You don't have to have Moroni's glasses, magic glasses. You don't need to have some magical formula. You don't need some code with numerological information so you can rearrange the words by some kind of number scheme to get the secret message. The Bible is written in simple, plain language, in a grammar and an ascendant structure that makes sense to us the way we speak. When the Bible says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned, it is not telling us that the Bible is so mysterious that you can't understand it in plain language. What it's really telling us is when you got it figured out in plain language, the man of the world does not know what it means. In other words, it doesn't make any sense. How do you get ahead in this world? Talk to the aspiring entrepreneur on Wall Street and ask him, how do you get ahead in this world? And he'll tell you, I've studied finance, I've studied business, I've got this high-powered job, I've survived all the economic crashes, my advice has been good, I'm still making a million dollars a year, I wear $5,000 suits, I drive a brand new, classy, uh, high-powered car, doormen open the door for me, people call me sir, they recognize who I am, I'm a power broker here on Wall Street. That's how you get ahead in this world. And Jesus says, you want to get ahead in this world? You need to become a servant. You need to be the doorman. You need to wash people's feet. You need to, to, to serve other people. You need to give your life to them instead of investing all of your energy and building yourself up. You need to build other people up. You need to serve people. And that guy on Wall Street says, that doesn't make any sense to me. Of course not. Because his mind is of this world, and God says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. I don't think the way you think. And what's really important is not what the world considers important. For, for the person who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the things of the world are passing away in all the lust of it. But the one who does the will of God, that's the one who abides forever. Jesus said that the, that the natural man is not going to perceive and understand these things. Because they don't make logical sense in a worldly fashion. But as plain as day in the Scripture, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So who is the greatest among you? If you want to be number one, become a servant of everyone. That means what it says. It's not hard to understand. It's just hard to embrace. It's hard to practice because it doesn't jive with the way the world views success. Friends, the Bible is written in a language that is so plain and so simple that the most basic, correct, fundamental, logical meaning of Scripture is always the simplest meaning. Let me tell you, your Bible means exactly what it says. 
And, and any person with common sense understands when it's using a figure of speech and when it's speaking literally. Okay? It's a bad illustration. We could argue about it a little bit because of the practice of shepherds in the first century. But when Jesus said, I am the door of the sheepfold... Anyone here in this room reads that sentence and you know that he does not mean he is a board swinging on hinges in an opening. Anyone knows that. You know automatically that that is a figure of speech. But what does a door do? It opens and closes the passage. It is the point of entry. Jesus is the door symbolically. We know that's a figure of speech. You don't have to have a Bible college education or seminary degree to figure that out. It's obvious. And if you read that kind of a thing in the newspaper called a metaphor or a simile, you may know, not know what to call it in, in the grammatical structure of the language, but you know what it is. Because we speak that way all the time. The Bible is written in plain language, so much so that my favorite comment of all time on studying the Scripture was made by D.L. Moody when he said at one point in time, Read your Bible. It will shed light on your commentaries. Read your Bible. It will shed light on your commentaries. I digressed in the 8 o'clock service. I'm probably going to digress here. In fact, I know I am because I'm doing it on purpose now. But um, I advocate buying a Bible that does not have a lot of footnotes in it to use as your primary Bible. Do you know why? Because when you can read the text up here and then jump down to the bottom and find a commentary interpretation... Many people in their mind, because the pages of God's holy inspired word are written on the same page that this guy's footnotes are written, many people cannot see the difference between the two. What is at the bottom of your Bible in terms of footnotes is an opinion. What is at the top of your Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God. I would much rather have only the Scriptures in my Bible and have to go over here and take a commentary off the shelf to read what someone thinks. And the reason for that is I automatically know that I am laying down the Bible and picking up some man's idea. Because I need to make the separation in my mind that what somebody wrote in footnotes at the bottom of my Bible is just an opinion. For that same reason, I do not advocate buying a version of the Bible that was only translated by one person. I don't have any objection to the message. If you want to read the message devotionally, then read the message devotionally. But understand that it's only an opinion of what the text means by one man who frankly thought a little bit out of the box. It is not the Word of God. It is an opinion about what the text means by one person. If you want to read the Living Bible or, or, any trans, or, or any version of it that was originally done by Kenneth Taylor, and, and you read the Living Bible, understand it's an opinion. 
It is an opinion. It is not the Scripture. It is one man's paraphrased opinion of what the text means. And if that's the version you read, you're getting a a, a slanted perspective. It's important to read the Bible in a translation that has been done by a team of scholars who frankly keep one another honest. And when I look for a Bible to read, I look for a Bible that's put together by a team of translation scholars who, first of all, honor the Scriptures as the Word of God. If they don't believe the Bible's the Word of God, I have trouble coming out of the gate. But if they're committed to the Scriptures, the Word of God, then the second thing I want to know is, are they a team of scholars from all disciplines of theology? I want some Calvinists in there. I want some Arminians in there. Uh, a dispensationalist here or there is not a bad idea. And some, some wild and crazy contemporary evangelicals are a good idea. I want them all mixed in there together who are language scholars. Do you know why I want that? Because when the Calvinist wants to bend the, the, the choice of words over toward John Calvin, that Arminian Methodist on the team says, Oh, you know, you don't. That's not what that means. And he keeps it honest. And they go back and forth until they forge out a translation that they can all live with linguistically because they are satisfied that it has faithfully represented the original Greek and Hebrew text without the bias of their denominational bent. I want to start with scriptures that are solid and fresh. But I'll tell you this morning, if you have a King James Version... If you have a new King James Version, if you have a new International Version, if you have a new American Standard Bible Version, if you have an English Standard Version, if you have uh, any of these particular translations, and there are others that I haven't mentioned, but if you have those, they all fit that criteria. And they are faithful to lead you to to the truth of the Word of God. They are faithful to translate the Scriptures. So that you can study the Bible and be sure that what you have in your hand is a faithful translation of the Word of God. The second thing I want to point out to you is that the Bible has a single author. Even though there are 40 different writers who wrote over a period of 1,600 years, our conviction is that every single one of them was inspired by the same Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that Matthew may not have known what Habakkuk had in mind when Habakkuk said what he said, but the Holy Spirit who motivated Matthew knew what he meant when he was inspiring Habakkuk. That means that when Isaiah said, then the Lord himself will give you a sign, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah picked a very strange word in the Hebrew language to describe his own wife, because she was not a virgin. And even though the Hebrew word could have potentially been translated a young woman, it typically referred to a young unmarried woman who in Hebrew culture had better be a virgin. 
And it was commonly understood to mean virgin. And and Isaiah uses this strange terminology in the context of Isaiah 7.14 when he says, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. And then you read on in the scriptures, and and, and Isaiah, the prophet's wife, is is having a child. And uh, on and on it goes. And you say, well, what does that mean? But... When the Holy Spirit of God who inspired Isaiah inspires Matthew in chapter 1 verse 18, he he brings that passage back to mind because the Israelites really knew deep down what it meant. And the Holy Spirit confirms it by divine commentary in Matthew chapter 1 when he says, in order to fulfill the scriptures which says, Behold, a virgin, and the Greek word there means virgin, will conceive and bear a son. And that person is Jesus. There's no question. There's no question what was meant. The same author has inspired the whole book. So when we open the Scriptures to try to study it, yes, there's some benefit in reading the major prophets. There's some benefit in studying the synoptic Gospels in comparison to to, to John's writings. There's some benefit in looking at the teaching of Paul in comparison to Peter or James. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that the same Holy Spirit inspired the whole book. And He knows what He meant in every case. And here's the amazing thing. The Holy Spirit can put it together for us. The best way to interpret the Scripture is to let the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures. I want to give you a method this morning. I know this will work because I've practiced it for 40 years. It's tried and true, and I guarantee you it'll work for you. Some people left the service this morning and said, I'm going to try what you said. And I want to tell you, I can't wait to hear back from them. Because I know what God's going to do. I'm going to say something that is going to sound terribly braggadocious and arrogant, but I'm trying to make a point. I hope, I hope you put it in the context. We were visiting Ruth Sween on Friday afternoon, and one of the things that Ruth said that I've heard over the years, she said, I have learned more from your teaching. I have appreciated you as a pastor, and I've learned more from your teaching these last 24 or so years. By the way, passed my 24th anniversary with you guys last Tuesday. I didn't think about it until this morning, but that marked 24 years. I'm now officially in the 25th. And all my life, from the day I started teaching my first Bible study as a senior in high school, my whole life, people have said to me, you're an amazing teacher of the Word of God. Okay? And, I, and I'm saying that not, not because, look at me, because I want to tell you where that came from. I want to tell you where that came from. Okay? I do not buy sermons, never have. I do not use other people's outlines. Never have. I have never subscribed to a sermon series outline uh, uh, subscription to preach from. Uh, It's never even made any sense to me. I don't preach other people's sermons. I don't even re-preach my sermons. Some of you may think I do because you hear me say the same thing over and over. And sometimes it's because I'm senile and don't remember. 
But most of the time, it's because I'm repeating it on purpose, because I know the three R's of good teaching. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And I know that if I say something enough times, it's going to eventually stick. But I don't repeat my own sermons. I've never pulled an outline out of the drawer and re-preached it. Oh, I don't know what to preach Sunday. I'll go back through the files. In fact, I don't even have files. Herb's got them, but I don't have them. Even if I come to the same text I've preached before, I preach it fresh. Every time I've preached through Romans, I started with a blank slate as if I'd never been there before and expounded the Scripture freshly. With the, and, here, and here's the way I did it. When I was a junior in high school and I had committed my life unreservedly to Jesus Christ, I wanted a new Bible that I could study from. I wanted a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And, and for me in those days, that was a... About a $40 investment, and it was more money than I had. But there was a Kiwanis Club essay contest going on. And the winner of that essay contest would get a $25 cash prize. And I said, Lord, I want to win that essay contest so I can buy a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, real leather. That's what I want. And I, and I wrote my essay, and by the grace of God, I won the contest. And I ordered that Bible, went down to the Baptist bookstore and picked it up. It was a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And I came home with that Bible, and here's what I did, and I, and I want to tell you this morning, if you will do this, God will teach you. I came home, and I went to my school desk in my bedroom. I sat down at my school desk, and this became my habit every afternoon after school. I came home from school, put my homework aside. Sometimes I never got back to it. But I opened that Bible, and I sat down, and I said, God... I want you to teach me the Scriptures. I want to know the Bible. I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to know what you want to say to me. I want you to teach me the Scriptures. And I imagined in my mind that as I sat down at my desk and opened that Thompson Chain Reference Bible starting in Genesis, I imagined that the Holy Spirit pulled up a chair beside me. And as I started to read, I imagined him pointing out things to me. And you know what he did? He pointed things out to me. He said, did you notice this? Oh, that's interesting. And then as I began to build my knowledge of Scripture as time went along, I would be reading somewhere down the line, maybe in Joshua, maybe in Kings. And, and the Holy Spirit would say, no, did you see that? Do you remember Genesis, remember that passage in Genesis? These two go together. And I found that as I read along over time, that the Holy Spirit would take what I had read before and put it together with what I was reading now. And He began to weave together the teaching of Scripture. Because here's the truth. God has taken His truth and scattered it like seed throughout the Word. I'm not saying that the whole Word isn't true. It's all true. But the, the specific points of teaching that need to be pulled together are scattered throughout. And the Holy Spirit will marry those things up. I was uh, interviewing, and I think I mentioned this, but I was interviewing a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about teaching the deeper life. And, and the comment was made, 
in our in our group of interviewers, a comment was made that that many pastors preach for years and never preach on the deeper life. That is the the deeper life in Jesus Christ and the fullness of the Spirit. I said, how can you even preach the Bible? I'm preaching the deeper life right now. Did you know that? Right this minute, I'm preaching the deeper life. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm telling you how to live in the Holy Spirit as a student of the Scripture. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. That's what I'm telling you right now. This is the deeper life. And I said, how can you even teach anything from the Scripture without teaching the deeper life? Because, for example, the Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Okay? And then you fast forward to James, and it says no one can control the tongue. Uh-oh. Paul's telling me in Ephesians, no unwholesome word is supposed to come out of my mouth. And James is saying nobody can control the tongue. I'm in trouble. What's the answer? The answer is found in Galatians, which says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. How do I get my mouth under control? I need the Holy Spirit to do it for me because I can't do it. The Holy Spirit puts Scripture together for you. He teaches you. You come to that passage in Ephesians 4 and you say, God, I don't understand that. How can I control my tongue? My tongue is constantly getting me in trouble. I'm always saying unwholesome stuff. How can I get a handle on my tongue? Oh, Lord, I'm in such trouble. And then you're reading in your devotions and you get a little more insight. You read the passage says, no one can control the tongue. Yes, amen, Lord, I agree to that. But you told me about no unwholesome word. And then one day you're reading in Galatians and he says, here's your answer, my child. You need to depend on the Holy Spirit. You can't do this. I'll do it for you. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Ah, I need the Holy Spirit working through me. I picked a a random passage of Scripture this morning. I was sitting back in my office and I said, How can I illustrate my point, Lord? I talk to God this way, by the way. I said, Lord, how can I illustrate my point? I I want people to understand that they can read the Bible in plain language and you can teach them the Scripture. So I opened my Bible and and I just randomly opened it up and it fell on a passage and I read the first four verses. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. I'll use this as an illustration. Now, I do not recommend that you do that as a means of guiding your life every day, okay? You heard about the person who who said, I need guidance from the Lord, and so I'm going to just uh, close my eyes, open my Bible randomly, wherever my finger lands, that's what I'm going to do. So he looked down and he read, direction for today, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And he said, I don't think that's my guidance for today, I'm going to need some more guidance. So he thumbed through the scripture and he put his finger back down and he looked down at the page and he read, Go thou and do likewise. No, do not do that as a way of getting guidance in your life. You need to take the Scripture in the context of its whole. But anyway, I opened to Matthew chapter 16 and I read this. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. You've got to know the difference how to tell the weather by looking at the sky, by the way, but that's another point. Do you, not, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, I, I want to tell you, whenever you read the Scripture, there's always six questions you should ask of the text. You should really ask the Holy Spirit who's sitting by your side. Here's what you should ask Him. Who? 
what, when, how, where, and why. Ask the questions. Who said it? To whom was it said? Why did he say it? What did he say? Where is this supposed to happen? How am I to do this? Ask those questions. Ask God those questions. And then look in the text for the answer. Well, in this case, it says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. One of the things we can get right out of the text, you don't even have to go any further than these four verses. Who wants proof? Who wants proof that God is alive and well in the world today? Who wants proof? Evil and adulterous generation. Because if you know the Lord and you know His presence, you have to be blind not to see Him. The people that want, prove it to me. Just prove it to me. Turn that stone into bread. Make me a believer. They have an evil heart. They want something to knock them over like a bolt of lightning. Because they can't get it any other way. And Jesus says, you're asking for these signs, but He says, the only sign that will be given you is the sign of Jonah. Now, if you're reading your devotional, you're reading this in your devotional, say, God, teach me the Scriptures. And you come along this passage, you say, what is the sign of Jonah? What in the world is the sign of Jonah? Maybe you haven't been reading your Bible straight through and you just landed on chapter 16 of Matthew one day. I want to tell you, there's two ways to go about finding out what the sign of Jonah means without asking me, without checking on a commentary. You could do those things. If you have a reference Bible that in the center column tells you other verses in the Scripture that relate to that, that's the shortcut. Okay? You could look, at, you could look in the center column and you could look at verse 4 and you could find out that in Matthew 12:39. There's something in this verse that's about the same thing. So you turn over to Matthew 12:39, and, and you read that passage. And it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees tested him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. Ah, sound familiar? And yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's the sign of Jonah? It is the resurrection. It's the resurrection. You want proof when I come out of the ground. When you kill me and put me on the cross and kill me, and I come out of the grave, that's proof. And when Jonah came out of the mouth of the great fish and landed on the shores of Nineveh and went into town preaching, by the way, that must have been a sight to behold because um, there's actually a true story in in the, the history of whaling of someone who was swallowed by a whale somewhere out near Australia, and they uh, they managed to to get catch the whale, and they got the guy back out alive, except he was bleached snow white by the stomach acid contents. And can you imagine Jonah showing up, looking like a total ghost, preaching repentance? Man, those Ninevites said, "Whoa, we better pay attention here." 
But anyway, Jesus says, this is the sign of Jonah. It's the resurrection. You want proof? I'm coming out of the grave. And that's proof. Okay, so you read the scripture, what am I saying? So suppose you didn't have a reference Bible where you could look it up in the reference. You ask God, God, what do you mean? What is the sign of Jonah? Lord, I, I want to understand this. What's, what's this mean? Let me tell you what God's going to do for you. In your reading, he is going to lead you to Matthew 12. It may be tomorrow. It may be next year. But one day you will be reading Matthew 12. And you will read that passage I just read. This is the sign of Jonah. And the Holy Spirit will say, here it is. Here's what it means. And you will say, aha, now I understand. Friends, when I started out at the age of 16, opening that Bible and saying, God, teach me. God has taught me ever since. And the way that I go about preparing messages and the way that I've done it for 40 years to teach the Word of God is the way that I've studied the Word of God. I, I do what those who know me well know that I call it kind of steeping. I read and study the passage that I'm going to preach on the next time around. And then I put it before the Lord and I say, God, teach me. Teach me your word. And here's what happens. Throughout the course of the next few days, the Holy Spirit begins to bring scripture passages up from all over the Bible. He begins to put it together. I'm having a phone conversation. Something pops into my mind and, and the Holy Spirit underlines it and says that relates to the sermon. I'm driving down the street meditating on something and all of a sudden something pops into mind. The Holy Spirit says, that goes with this. And then as the week progresses, God begins to put it together. As I read, as I study, God begins to put it together. So that as I come toward the end of the week, God has filled out the understanding of the passage. People through the years have said that I'm a good Bible teacher. Let me tell you something. I am not a good Bible teacher, but I have a gift from the Holy Spirit that has been reinforced by Him as I have all the time bent my knee in His presence and said, God, I am a babe. I am a child. I can never understand this book unless you explain it. I'm coming to you. I'm counting on you to explain it to me. And God, the Holy Spirit, will teach you in the same way. You have the same Spirit. You read the Scriptures plain language. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. He will guide you. He will teach you. He will begin to put the Scriptures together. But I want to tell you that I do have commentaries on my shelf. And I do have other pastors I talk to, and there are elders here in the church, and, and you listen to me preach, and I have the witness of the history of, of, of the church throughout the ages. Because the Scripture also says no Scriptures of private interpretation. You can't just read the Bible and make up your own ideas. How do you know that what you're getting is from the Holy Spirit? How do you know that it's solid teaching? You remember when Paul uh, went to, to those Berean Christians, that were not Christian yet, but he went to Berea and he preached the Gospel, and they searched the Scripture to see whether these things were true? 
We need to search the Scriptures with each other. You need to share what you're learning with your small group. You need to share it with your Bible study. You need to share it with your Christian friends. You need to to avail yourself of other input and other information and check yourself. I have those commentaries on the shelf because once I have allowed the Holy Spirit of God to teach my heart, one of the things that I do just to make sure I'm not going off starting some new cult somewhere is I pull something off the shelf that has been written by people who have passed the test of time. And I read that to see if, if I'm too far off base. And if I don't agree with them, I put in some extra study to see if before the Lord I can find others who corroborate what I'm saying or if I'm just out on my own somewhere. I don't, I don't want to get you too far off base this morning by saying sometimes God will lead you in a new understanding. But you better be careful where it is and it doesn't depart from, from the whole body of knowledge and teaching of the church through the ages. You can understand the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And as you humbly submit yourself to Him and to the leadership of the church and the, the history of the church through the ages... God will speak to your heart. And so I challenge you this morning. Open your Bible and ask the author to teach you what he means. Be willing to obey what he shows you. Because if all you want is information, God is not very interested in talking. If you just want to get smart, God's not very motivated to teach you. But if you say, Lord, I want to understand who you are. Not just your word, but you. I want to understand who you are. I want you to teach me. And I want to do what I learn. I want to obey. I want your spirit to lead my life. I I want to be a, a, a follower of you through the scriptures. The Holy Spirit of God will teach you. And as you faithfully read, He will put Scripture together with Scripture. And if you ask those questions of God, God, who's saying this? What are they saying? Why are they saying it? How am I to do this? How is this supposed to happen? When does this go down? Where should this be occurring? You ask those questions. God will lead you in an understanding of the text. Study to show yourself approved to God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You have the Holy Spirit, and you can know, because He will faithfully teach you. Father, I pray this morning that you would just take this, this effort to, to explain the, the very basics of getting into your word. And that you would lead us into truth. That we would be students of the Scripture. Really students of the living God. That we would be those who gaze upon you through the pages of your Word. Who want to know you with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength so that we can love you that way. Who want to understand the teaching. Because we're willing to be obedient followers who hunger after You in Your Word. And I pray this morning, Father, that throughout this audience You would motivate 
those whose hearts are tender toward you today, if they've never done this before, motivate them to open the Scripture and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me. Lord, that they would open their lives to you and be faithful to teach them the Word of God. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.